Welcome to this episode of Chew the Could. I'm John Houston, Director of Business Services for Protrition Feed. I am happy to be presenting to you an episode on small ruminants and this all-star cast I have with me this evening. First of all, let me introduce our guest, Josh Norman. Josh's day job is a ag teacher yes. at Spring Hill High School, and uh, but Josh is a premier uh, owner of Hidden Hollow Farms and uh, has a registered uh, goat uh, herd as well as a commercial herd as well and give us some expertise from the goat standpoint. I also have Dr. Jay Hamby. Dr. Hamby uh, is a, works in a day job as a consultant in training and education and research and some other things, but also for as long as I've known you for over 30 years, I've known you to be a livestock person and in particular with sheep and uh, have grown up with sheep. I know uh, Dr. Hamby and also uh, currently has a uh, uh, sheep operation and a nice uh, restroom flock and some other things you're doing there uh, with uh, uh, Hoofstock Ventures. So uh, we're glad uh, to have you with us, Dr. Hamby. And also Todd Steen. Todd Steen is ruminant, ruminant nutritionist with uh, Protrition Feed and will be able to give us some expertise from a nutritional standpoint. So uh, with that, let's get started and ask a few questions. First of all, thank you all for being our guests today and thank you very much for uh, your time that you're dedicating to this project. Uh, so, uh, Josh Norman, let me uh, ask you, uh, from a goat standpoint, I know uh, I as well, I'm a sheep person, but but as we uh, think about hoof care and foot care and it can be such a problem, what are some of the things in, uh, that you look for and how do you recommend uh, uh, trimming hooves and, and uh, how do you uh, see problems with feet? Okay. Uh, that's one of the big problems we have with the goats and everything is feet problems. Um, you'll see them out limping in the pasture and everything like that. There's many different ways that you can treat it. Um, working with your veterinarian is always a good thing. Know what type of antibiotics you need to use, but between foot rot, foot scald, and everything like that. Um, normally, if we see one limping, we'll catch them up, trim feet, <clears throat> just use a pair of uh, regular old foot shears. Um, sometimes if they're too bad, you can use a, a grinder or one of the small uh, <laughs> angle grinders, just like you can do with cattle and everything with uh, trimming feet. We've done everything from foot baths with copper sulfate and zinc sulfate and everything like that, walking them through to the troughs. Um, you can do, there's several different antibiotics you can run and everything, but staying on top of it and prevention is your best bet with that. Uh, just as soon as you see one, especially after the rain we've been having, we'll keep an eye out somebody starts limping or something like that we'll try to grab them and uh, work their feet and then we'll put a paint stripe down them so we know we've worked them recently and everything else right so so dr hamby do you have any uh additions or anything else you would do from a sheep standpoint you bet uh you know a lot the same of what josh just referenced there i will say and you know to your point we're in a we're in an interesting climate when it comes to small ruminants and again with the foot problems it's pretty wet in tennessee so we, we'll see more problems in this geography than we would say in West Texas, for example. And, and to that end, it's just about keeping a vigilant eye, particularly we get in those wetter times, late winter, early spring, starting to warm up just a bit. Those pastures get wet, those dry lots get a little bit wet. 
And to your point, I think it's important as well, we differentiate between foot rot and foot scald, two very different things. We see a lot more scald on our place than foot rot. We manage that pretty aggressively to keep the foot rot down. But when you get in those really wet, wet times, just be vi- excuse me, vigilant and watchful for that foot scald and, and work with your veterinarian, get that right, right antibiotic in there to take care of some of those things. Absolutely. So, Todd, from a nutritional standpoint, anything we can be doing with, uh, with feedstuffs, whether it be uh, – managing our forages or or with uh, with our supplements that we could uh, um, I guess be mindful of from from a hoof care standpoint let's start right off the right off the bat here with a good balanced overall ration we're talking about all the nutrients not just a couple not just protein or a mineral or something along those lines it takes them all all of them working together uh, the forage program drives the boat. Forages with a ruminant animal, whether it's a large ruminant or small ruminant, it's really immaterial. The forage quality, the type of the, the, the best forage that we can offer them will be the best play. And the supplements that we would want to give to them would we would like to have it based on the type of forage that we that we would be offering or the animal would be exposed to. We hear a lot about organic trace minerals and hoof integrity and things like that. Those are important, and and those in our area do play a role. When we start talking about these foul foot type issues of of, uh, foot rot and things like that, where we have a lot of pathogenic invasion within that sole wall, those types of supplements won't stop that, but it keeps the hoof and the integrity of the hoof and hopefully when they're out in these wet environments or whatever type of uh, terrain that they may be walking on, that the hoof integrity, because of that balanced ration, that the hoof integrity will be intact and will, and will prevent maybe some of the potential uh, uh, invasion that, that uh, could occur in in our past. Uh, really good, really good. Well, let me shift gears just a little bit. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, Dr. Hamby, tell me a little bit uh, from a uh, uh, breeding standpoint and, and how you uh, 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 would select a ram and then from that, how you would take your use through that gestation period and the types of products that you would use uh, from, a, from a nutrition standpoint. And, and what you would be concerned about uh, as you go through that gestation period. Sure, absolutely. Uh, when it comes, lot, lots to cover there. When it comes to rams, uh, an old friend of mine says it's all pieces and parts. And so when you're talking about phenotypic quality, it's about pairing those ewes up with the right ram to uh, hopefully get the most ideal animals coming out the backside of that process as you can. So again, where you, you have some ewes, you'll want to kind of cover some faults perhaps with a buck and, or a ram and, and, uh, and again, just kind of keep that phenotypic thing first of mind from that standpoint. And you know, one of the things we try to do is line up our genetics just a little bit. And, and the longer you stay in it, the longer you get your ewe base line from genetic standpoint, it becomes much more predictable. And it's tough to do, frankly, early on. I mean, when you're starting to assemble your flock, uh, it, it's tough to get that predictability because you may be sourcing use from a lot of different places. But that notwithstanding, after a few years, you get that genetic base lined up, you can get some, you know, you can get a lot more predictability in there, which makes that ram selection a little bit easier from that standpoint. You know, again, you know, how are they in their spine in terms of keeping that flat spine, that big, you know, big square hip? And again, getting that right angulation up front, you know, one that's going to produce that broody female that's got some drop in that flank and some capacity. Um, 
when it comes to getting the used bread on on our farm and primarily you know producing for a a show and seed stock market it's about for the most part getting lambs on the ground as early as we can and so in tennessee obviously it's hot and in the summer you know compared to some northern latitudes are much hotter and so it's hard sometimes to get these ewes wanting to cycle and it's almost like we're we're trying to get used bread on our place in the late anester season for these sheep. And so that requires us syncing them up. We'll, we'll use a, a programming protocol. In fact, even our natural service use are programmed to sync estrus. And we've had good success getting getting used bread in, in that July-August window for lambs that are going to hit the ground in December and January. Um, to that end, programming is important for us. Again, just not getting lambs there early, but getting everything where it's an organized lambing period is just huge. I'd recommend that to most every uh, commercial producers as well. It's, it's pretty economical to get these sheep lined up early. That investment on a per ewe basis, I think, pays dividends on the backside, John. When, uh, when you have this very uniform lamb crop, it's easier to manage. They're all going on creep and, you know, again, usually two-week blocks from that point. In terms of managing use through gestation, for the first two-thirds of it, I mean, it's you have to be a little careful you don't overfeed them and, and give them too much nutrition because you don't want to get those used too fat too early. You get into preg tox issues, ketosis on the backside. So we we do all basically just you know maintenance through that first part of first two-thirds of gestation and then really start to pick up maybe with some supplemental you know concentrate ration to kind of pick up the nutritional plane one product we do use is 355 from the co-op which has ctc in it you'll need to get that veterinary relationship established but it can sure even in addition to that vaccination program certainly advise that as well but um, just to make sure that uh, you know again you're doing all you can to prevent those late-term abortions so we vaccinate for that uh, both on the front side before breeding. We'll also make sure we, we feel pretty good where we are on a selenium supplement basis. Sometimes, you know, if we feel like we may need a little bit of extra pop there, we'll give them a selenium injective, BOCI injection uh, right there at breeding. But then again, putting the foot down just a little bit more, you know, once we get into that last two thirds. We tend to ultrasound our use too and feed the, you know, group them as best we can. Then those use that are carrying singles, feed them one way. Those that have twins or triplets in them, feed those feed those use a little more aggressively so again in a nutshell that's a little bit about how we how we manage the gestation really good good information so so josh when you are talking about let's talk about a commercial standpoint and and, and you're looking at uh commercial kids that that are going to go uh you know to into the meat market mm-hmm. um when you're looking at selecting bucks uh, what kind of things are you looking at from that phenotypic standpoint? What, what, how would you select a buck for a commercial operation? Uh, similar to what Dr. Hamby said, we're going to be looking for muscling, but as well as structure and everything. Um, the buck is half, so I mean, if you've got good does and then you take a, a not so good buck on them, you're going to bring your phenotype down and kids aren't going to be as well. So you really want to look for uh, not only structural correctness, but muscling as well. Uh, the old saying on market animals was they just got to make it to the feed trough and on the truck. But if they can't make it to the trough consistently, you're going to have issues. Um, and that goes back also to hoof care and everything else. But like he was saying, it, it's kind of a piece meal as you're going. Um, we are starting to sort of line up our doe families as y'all do with your sheep it sounds like so that we know consistently okay on this doe here we need something that's going to add more with the top and this doe here we need something that's going to add more to the rear quarter and everything um 
just to try to make things as consistent and the possibilities these days with the small ruminants on bucks is endless. I mean, we're doing everything from natural breeding to embryo transfer and AI and everything just like we've done for years with all the other stuff. So it, uh, the capabilities and possibilities of finding the buck that you need to fix this piece or this piece or this piece is it's endless. So just a couple more things before we wind this segment up, Todd, we talk about these uh, uh, kids or, or lambs uh, and and creep feeding. What what do you uh, how how would you recommend going about creep feed, and what should we look for if we're going to select a, a product to use as a creep feed? Right off the bat, the the success of a creep feeding program is to provide nutrition to the young animal, be it the kid, be it the lamb, be it whatever, above and beyond what the young animal is getting from the dam. So if we rob away with the creep feed from from the nutrition coming from the from the dam or vice versa, if we can't get anything out of the if it's just a cheap something that's just going through and not doing very much, then we failed with our creep program. So the best thing to start out with is a good, clean, nice pelleted feed. I like the pelleted feed much, much better because Let's call, a, let's call a spade a spade here. The small ruminant is notorious for sorting. And if you give that small ruminant the opportunity, they will sort that feed. If the animal sorts that feed, it's no longer a balanced diet. So if you've got the complete pellet there, then you've got the animal to where you get the balanced diet in every, in every bite. A nice, clean feeding area. Nice, I like the smaller pellet for the animal. Um, I think you need a minimum of 16% crude protein. We would be a whole lot better off if we had a little bit more based on what the lamb would be able to consume. We do realize that there are folks that do try to start with a 16 and depending on, depending on that situation, I could see where that would work, but really we would be better off having a little bit higher protein to get that animal started. Here's another thing to consider. That animal starts consuming a lot, starts building its feed intake. Dry matter intake starts starts gaining with that feed. I think it's best not to leave them on that and let that lamb get too fat. It's best to go on to some type of a grower diet, and by the time we have that animal essentially weaned, then our grower diet will be right there ready for the animal to take off and feed intake is not interrupted. Real good. So, uh Kind of winding up here, uh, Todd, talk to us just a little bit, just so our audience would know, um, uh, if they don't, about the differences between a goat feed and a sheep feed, in particular when it comes to copper. Copper's always the big thing with the small ruminant. Um, we realize that the sheep species uh, are copper sensitive, and not only is it a, a situation that you cannot physically look at the animal and see whether or not copper toxicity is, is going to be an issue or not. So, so preventing from the diet is, is clearly the best way. A sheep feed really does not need to have any copper associated with it. We do realize that, that in our area, our forages, other particular feedstuffs, 
do have small amounts of naturally occurring copper associated with it. We do realize that the, that the small remnant, uh, from a liver perspective, does store copper. So one of the things that is, that is typically included in sheep diets from a trace mineral supplementation would be molybdenum. Molybdenum would be an antagonist to copper. And if the animal is consuming that antagonist, that would help alleviate the potential store or the potential severity of the, of the accumulating copper. The goat, on the other hand, there's really is that there, there is requirements for copper on both species, but the level of sensitivity with the goat is, is not the same as it is with the sheep. So, so if, if you do completely withdraw copper supplementation to the goat. I, I would encourage you to be very careful about that because the animal does have that requirement. And particularly when we're talking about a breeding situation, if we don't have that balanced diet and we don't have all those in proper requirement to the animal, then our breeding is going to suffer. The, the, the type of offspring that, that we do uh, potentially raise, they're going to suffer. So the best thing is to simply have that balanced diet for what the animal is. Real good. So I appreciate uh, all the uh, good information that uh, has been uh, presented in this episode. Let me thank you, Josh and Dr. Hamby and Todd for, uh, for being with us today. And uh, let me say to our audience, thank you for viewing. And if you have any questions or any products that we can uh, provide you with, please see the good folks at your local co-op.